Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome back to the Premier Podcast. Apologies for the delay in this episode. Loyal fans and regular listeners will know that there's been a significant delay in pub- well, not delay in publishing this episode. We've just not put anything out for about six months, and that's because both Johnny and I have had quite significant, albeit positive, life events, um, which has distracted us from recording any episodes. So apologies for that. I have, however, um, recently had the time to speak with Tom Borum, uh, an NQP and Army Reservist paramedic about his life in both the NHS and the Army Reserves, believe it or not. But before that, let me tell you a bit about our current pre-med learning products. So some of you will have noticed from our social media or email newsletters that we've moved or we're in the process of moving all of our education courses, or most of them, uh, onto an online learning platform. We've recently published two modules from our pre-hospital and emergency department ECG course. The first is FedEx ECG Essentials, And this is designed to give learners the fundamental knowledge of the ECG, from cardiac physiology to electrophysiology to the basics of interpretation. The next module, Level 1, ensures learners have a comprehensive understanding of 12-bit ECG's fundamentals, can systematically identify normal sinus rhythm, and can recognise common life-threatening problems. All of our e-learning modules are available on phone, tablet or platform being cloud-based, You can access them whenever you want, stop them whenever you want, and it will save your progress. And on completion of the course and the associated MCQ assessment, they generate a certificate of completion, which is valid for one year, uh, the perfect addition to your CPD portfolio. Additionally, in terms of our prompt cards, we've got a Christmas bundle at the moment. So do head to our Etsy store or our website to see what uh, bundle discounts you can get with our prompt cards during the Christmas season. And all our e-learning and the link to our Etsy store is available of course, at www.prem-ed.com. And so that's it for advertising. As I've said, I'm going to be talking to Tom Borum, so let's get started with the episode. We had a good chat about the route of entry for paramedics, direct versus in-service, 
uh, working in the NHS versus the Army Reserves. Obviously, the impending strike action, as well as mental ill health in the ambulance service and coping strategies, and a bit more thrown in as well. Due to the length of the episode, I've split it into two, but I'll be publishing the second half in the next few days, so there won't be long to wait. Um, but let's get into the first episode. I hope you enjoy it. Cheers. So, hello, Tom. Welcome to the Pre-Med Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. No, thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining me. It's obviously been a while since we've, um, well, not obviously, you might not have listened, although you tell me you have. Yeah, but I've avid listener. What listen to them all? Legend, fifty yeah, percent of our sad, really. listenership. Um, yeah, it's been a while since we've done a podcast, um, and Johnny's not here for reasons I've obviously explained in the intro. Um, so probably a bit more bantery yeah, and enjoyable yeah. without Johnny here. But um, but yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, we're basically going to have a bit of a chat about your work um, and career so far in medicine yeah. or pre-hospital care or whatever if that's yeah. all right yeah absolutely. so are you right to tell the listeners a bit about yourself yes yeah. so i'm tom i'm a newly qualified paramedic um i've been qualified now for 18 months to and fro, to and fro. um i'm an army reservist as well and um an avid rugby player nice <laughs> yeah nice <laughs> not that any of those three things mix but i don't know army yeah Army, Navy, rugby? Yeah. yeah, they do like a bit. Yeah, fair. Nice. So how long have you been qualified again? Uh, 18 months. 18 months. Yeah, I had a bit of a weird route into it. Uh, where during, Tell us about that. Well, during COVID, uh, the trust that I work for, uh, I think they, it felt like they panic hired a lot of students, student yeah. paramedics. Sounds unlike a public trust. <laughs> yeah. So because I had my C1 license, they employed me as an emergency care support worker yeah, on yeah. a bank contract. So I had 18 months being an ECSW before I qualified, which is pretty decent. Really enjoyed that. Yeah. Do you think that's a good way of doing it? Because there's obviously the graduate entry route, which yeah. is what we both did. And I didn't do any of that, but then there's the, yeah. what's it called, direct entry? No, yeah. whatever it is, that where you work your way up and it sounds like you did something. Yeah, it was like a hybrid of the both, like yeah. working. So I was a student paramedic turning up to shifts to, shifts to third man. And then, other de- then the next day I'd, wear trust uniform coming to work and be a crewmate yeah or a paramedic so it was like the best of both worlds in the sense that i got the dynamic of working in a crew but i could still be a student being yeah because i think that's that's what you miss doing the yeah. direct entry route isn't it yeah um, and it's you and then being a sometimes being on an ambulance job is you don't need three people no and you become supernumerary and then you don't you don't you don't get involved so much and things like that whereas yeah and I always find crew, it's really obvious that you're a student as a direct entry because you're stood there and you normally got yeah. either if someone's like quite a decent mentor they'll just stand back and let you do stuff but even then it's fairly obvious that someone's standing back yeah and then you sometimes you get those mentors that are like oh this is the student they're going to do the student thing while we all, all watch and yeah. Then, yeah 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 nice so good balance then how long were you in ECSW before you um was it, qualified? it was about 18 months again so yeah nice decent and I think what it, it did do is it meant that when I transitioned from student to paramedic I was like it wasn't a new job like it wasn't like I was having to learn to drive an ambulance again. yeah I yeah. didn't have to learn to do the timesheets I didn't have to learn yeah. how the email it works it was like it was just a change of epaulets rather than a, yeah and then I guess good. you can concentrate on learning to be a paramedic yeah you're exactly. learning to put yeah. this practice yeah yeah nice so and then so you've been qualified for 18 months how was it um or how's that been because there's so the obviously you're not so you're a paramedic, 
but the most trusts now do this newly qualified paramedic thing, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And so how long you got to do a portfolio and stuff? How long does that last for? Yeah, so it's a two-year um, like preceptorship. Um, so um, straight out of university, then you have six weeks with a band six paramedic, mm-hmm. so experienced paramedic. And then you're given a portfolio to complete by the trust and then you're um and then you're supported through the next two years until you get your band six and become experienced and you mm-hmm. get a bit more responsibility um so it, i think it works well um yeah it can be a bit frustrating at times in what sense um well to be before you're band six and you're a band five paramedic you need to have a supported discharge shared decision oh yeah, clinician. yeah and sometimes um that any any clinician can disagree with another for any reason. Sometimes yeah. you just feel frustrated that you're left on your own a bit. But um, yeah. you can see why they do it. And like it's definitely, I've learned from the senior clinicians around me who have taught me. And, but I haven't had that conversation. But I haven't had that conversation and shared decision. It's some, interesting one, isn't it? Do, you, do yeah. you have to, isn't there some situation where you don't have to, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's like self-limiting conditions, such yeah. as like falls with no injuries and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, but which, I mean, I, I always speak to someone anyway because I think that's just being a good, yeah, good yeah, clinician. Yeah, I think it's a sensible thing, isn't it? But yeah. well, um, yeah, it's an it's an interesting one those those, <coughs> those conversations because you can make them go either way, can't you? Like, mm-hmm. I, I I mean, I do the same thing if oh, I'm not sure about something, I'll share the decision yeah. with yeah. someone someone else. And um, I always find it's a bit of a weird one because if you're like seeking permission for something, if you're yeah. like truly sharing a decision, you're just kind of um put something out there and then ask their, someone's opinion on it. Or if you're trying to seek permission for something, you basically just sell them something to say yes to. <laughs> no, I'm not suggesting you do, but you can't, can't you? Yeah. It's, um, it's a bit kind of, uh, what's the point? Yeah, sometimes it's a really easy decision and you feel like you're going really well and then um, it's, you think you're going to sell it really well and then suddenly, I don't think it comes out of your mouth properly and then suddenly <laughs> you've got someone on the, down the phone going, I, no, I don't want you to do that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, it's good. I mean, what it does is it gets you in the habit of maybe when you you don't have to call someone, you still want to. Yeah. Have, having the shared decision is obviously good for patients and good for their outcomes as well. Yeah, and I think also considering that, like it's a big thing in um, critical care uh, about, you know, often we do like consultant calls and stuff for interventions. And I think it's good to have it, even if you get into the habit of considering it. Because sometimes you're like, oh, maybe I won't. There's, there's for us, um, there's strict criteria of when you have to call and when you don't have to call. But then, whenever you, if the, if you don't have to call, there's always the op- option to do that. Yeah. And I think um, it's good to build in, like you say, build into your practice the consideration that like, is it worth talking to someone else about this? Because um, yeah. Uh, sometimes it's just a complicated situation. It's helpful. Yeah, and a decision shared is like a risk halved in a way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good way of thinking about it. That's a really good saying. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Well done. <laughs> Glad we recorded that. <laughs> um yeah no that that is true what about um so do you i mean obviously you have to kind of do shared decision making for discharges mm. what about um for conveyance to hospital no so i think if you want to convey i think you're left to make that decision by yourself and sometimes they're really if it's a really obvious this patient needs to go to hospital which they often are then mm. you just take them to hospital and yeah do you find you call up like when, when if you're thinking this person should go to hospital, do you find that you call up to share that decision sometimes? Because I always I always think like I've got friends that um work in you know like specialist paramedic colleagues and friends that are on the other end of those calls, and uh, whenever we talk about them, we're like, there's obviously there's an there's a risk leaving someone at home or like discharges on the community, but I think the way like the NHS is now, 
some of the patients that we see, there's there's an inherent risk with conveying people to hospital. But yeah. it doesn't there's no that risk doesn't seem to be mitigated by any sort of policy. No, I think it's still considered the safest way. The safest route is probably to take to hospital. But do you consider it the safest? I route? do not. I'm <laughs> not at all. Not at the moment when you've got some ninety year old who's quite frail and yeah. for an upset tummy, for example. Yeah. You could argue that ten years ago the safest thing was to take them to hospital. Like yeah, blood, CT, whatever. But now it's probably not the safest thing because of all the bugs going around. Yeah, and the fact they might be left in a corridor for well, yeah, exactly. hours. So do you find you share those decisions or not so much? Um, yeah, I do often with the like with community hospital avoidance teams and things like that. I think yeah, they're wicked and and that's that's quite a good setup where you work, is it not? Yeah, it is. We've got a really good, really good system here. And yeah. They've started to recognise my voice and number when I pop up. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I do use them a lot. And obviously the, the population that we go to around here are quite elderly. Yeah, yeah. So we do see a lot of them. And um, and I think COVID kind of um, made them spring up into their own. And they obviously yeah, started yeah. having a really good identity for themselves. And then yeah oh, wicked, wicked maybe one i do kind of want to work there one day but yeah yeah and it's one of them isn't it like um i think the other thing with covid is we all kind of had to learn like pre-hospital people had to learn a lot more about like a and e yeah and yeah. hospital pathways and things and you know if you can because as you say like 10 years ago maybe you could just go to a and e be quickly triaged whereas now you can't they're so stretched um in fact one of our local hospitals the other day, and I went in there and they had um, one nurse looking after 80 patients. That's bonkers. It's insane, isn't it? Yeah. It's absolutely mental. And so you think like there's a bit of a responsibility to relieve the burden on that service, mm. but also, um, as you say, if a patient's going to wait like a day for a yeah. chest x-ray or, or, you know, like an ECG and some bloods, yes. if they if you can use a pathway for like a, like a chest pain clinic or something, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty decent. Something that stuck with me that a paediatric nurse told me the other day is that they know if an ambulance brings a paediatric patient in, that they're not ill. <laughs> so I'll tell you, I've really started that working hard. Yeah. I've definitely ventilated children in hospital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you kind of walk into peas now and they roll their eyes and they think, oh, God, what's wrong with this one? Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. They'd say, if, a, you bring, if you guys bring them in, they're fine. If the parents bring them in, they're not. Yeah. Definitely take that with a pinch of salt. But I guess, where do you think that comes from? Because there's most ambulance services now have a policy of mandatory conveyance, don't they? Yeah, well, I mean, the one I work for is under two years old. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think, um, I mean, yeah, I, it must have, the policy must have come from somewhere. I yeah. think there's a few serious instances of non-conveyed children. And I suppose we don't really know that much about assessing children. Yeah, it's not. I Because I, of COVID, I missed my paediatric placement. Yeah, so all I've learned is from points and being on the road yeah that's nuts isn't it so you've not yeah. done any pediatric no person. i never went to any and did pediatrics yeah um all learnt from a textbook yeah and my mentors and things like that yeah it's an interesting one and i think um certainly like if you take i mean it's the same with adults isn't it well most of the time but if you take children to hospital you know they're going to get seen by a nurse and a generally a pediatrician yeah some sort of a and e doctor so they're going to get a decent assessment yeah um but then I think the the put that's fine if they call for a medical problem, but I've been to quite a few patients where, you know, like I went to someone recently who um they there's like a language barrier. They, uh, the mum was a refugee and she didn't really understand the system. There's a language barrier, 
And so obviously didn't know who to call and basically called 99 for advice on, oh. like she wanted to talk to a doctor basically. Yeah. Um, about, I can't, I can't remember what it was, like the kid had um, like missed the feed or something. It, you know, it's not a medical problem, it's a social problem. Yeah. So then you kind of think that makes it difficult. Yeah. Um, can you, so if you, the shared decision thing, can you non-convey a child debt or like discharge a child? I have done in the past where it's like, it's a similar miscommunication with yeah. a 999, like, um, and then they've got nothing wrong with them. If you speak to a senior colleague and say, look, I know this, this policy says, but this is what we've actually got. And I still think it would be not in the patient's best interest. Yeah. It, often you'd have to take things into account, like are the mum and dad rational and easygoing? Yeah, yeah. Or are they... Known to social services. Known to social services. Is that child, does that child need to be fed at the bottom line but yeah 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 yeah, yeah fair so the policy but the policy doesn't allow for that for you no no it shouldn't do but there is like i think there must be extenuating extenuating circumstances yeah yeah surely yeah fair um fine so uh but so nqp stuff so you didn't <coughs> you have to do this portfolio have you done it all i have actually have you actually i actually I was pretty much bit... everyone i talk to is on one percent no yeah i um <laughs> I got into a bit of a competition with my colleagues at work. And, How is it? Yeah, and I've got, I'm pretty sure I've got some kind of ADHD. So I just hated, hated smashed knowing it, it was outstanding. So I just smashed yeah, yeah. it out, yeah. Do you, like, what do you have to do for it? Oh, it was probably more work than my degree. It was, it was, it was, it was a lot of content you have to do. And, it was, and they got all these learning points. So I qualified before you have to do that. And for me, I find it weird that you've, like, you've just shown them that you've done three years of studying. Yeah. So do you have to like repeat academic stuff or what is it you have to... Yeah, so it's, I think it was like up to like 90 odd, 90 odd learning criteria, and you have to prove that you've met them. So some of them are like show evidence that you complete a mental state examination, which... How do, how do, you, how do you evidence that? So what is a mental state examination? <laughs> like it, and then often you end up submitting one bit of work and then they bounce it back because you didn't... Un- because the question meant something else. Right. So you'd have to chop and change, constantly go back and forth. And do you have to like write essays or reflections or something? Cause yeah. I'm, I'm sure I was talking to someone that basically said they uh, just, after a job, they just do a voice note. Yeah, that's so. That's the easiest way I found to do it. You can do that? Just do a voice note and like you and me are sitting here now, you can get someone to ask you the question. Yeah. You just say it out loud and then just submit the voice note. Oh, is it? Yeah. It was, that's so quite good. When, they, when the clinical education told me you could do that, yeah. Game changer. Game changer. <laughs> or you can do, I didn't realise you could do like more than one point in one essay. Oh, right, like you yeah, can meet yeah. more than one criteria in one essay. It's because I'd be like writing an essay for one point. And then I could have like, they'd so suddenly, back. So you put that like, can you do the entire thing in one job? Yeah, <laughs> one half. But you can submit like your patient record forms. How is that? Like redacted, obviously. But you can submit them as long as it's showed evidence. Yeah. So I think one of them was like a capacity assessment and then it was like, just ticked yes for a patient that did have capacity and it was showing that I could do it even though advanced. Even though it was hardly hardly Yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> hardly difficult. But yeah. No. I'd, it is it's good to have it done. I don't know if it's made me a better clinician. No. But um it's nice to have it done. And you learn more money. And more result. money, yeah. It's always good. That's the main reason, isn't it? But And so so you not long until you are an experienced paramedic officially mm. and then um how do things change apart from the to that portfolio and presumably there's more like discharge and rights and stuff is there 
much other difference between being an NQP and an experienced paramedic? I don't know, there's not really. Um, I think you've got a few more courses open to you that you can do your swamp, swamp course. Okay, use that out. for the crowd. Can't, so remember, definitely not done can't remember what it stands for. But it's Special some... weapons and <laughs> yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, I it. it's something to do with small wounds. Small wounds. Something sort of close. Something out. management. Fine, yeah. So um, have you thought about what you want to do career-wise? Yeah, so I'm lucky that on my station there's hearts yes. hanging around looking really cool. Yeah, yeah. Special yeah, forces. Do, do they look cool? Well, I don't know. They do look pretty they're definitely hanging around. Not when they're playing ping pong in the garage <laughs> looking for a job to do. Yeah. Um, but I see them and I see that they're, what their capabilities are and it's always kind of excited me. I remember yeah. before I started the course, um, just after I'd applied to university, watching all the ambulance programs on the telly and yeah, oh, yeah. I had their own little special one, didn't they? And yeah, I thought, oh, that's a bit of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what is it what is it about the mixture of like because they do a lot of fitness stuff don't they which is quite yeah. nice thing to tie into work yeah it's a bit more um, I think they've got quite a lot more problem solving yeah than we sometimes do they're still obviously doing they're still obviously clinically trained yeah, that yeah. kind of jazz and, but then they've got to apply it in a more challenging environment yeah fair. so that's and kind of do you have to how many years experience do you have to do that do you reckon I think it's you know? two years at band six experience. oh is it yeah it changed nice. recently. That's more than special as well, I think. Yeah. Interesting. But um, so I've joined SORP. Oh, yeah. Recently, which is a bit of a... So that is special operations yeah. response, is it? Spec- which I think... Spec Ops. Sounds... Spec Ops, yeah. That's, yeah. that's better than heart. I'm staying <laughs> SORP, are you? Um, what'd you get with that? Envis? No. No, no. Fair. No, you don't. No. Fair. What's, um, what's SORP then? Compared to heart? SORP is... Um, it's like a step down sort will kind of support heart at major events and things like that. Right. You have sort trained paramedics who are working in normal operations um, and then heart are kind of kept back as a heart team. And so, because the sort, some services, they're on cars, aren't they? Yeah. So as a sort paramedic, do you, do you work in a car? Are you allowed to work in a car as an NQP? No, you're not. So sort was in our trust. Um, on cars only right and they've recently the NARU guidelines which is the National Ambulance Resilience Unit you've passed that test thank well you done. Uh, just because I've done my course know. <laughs> yeah. the NARU have changed the specs recently and now it's an ambulance led system so right. they want oh, as in like a DCA they want a DCA with two crew members yeah. that are both sorts trained in MTA and CBRN yeah and so like in my job, I've done um, MTA training and we're supposed to get all this gear. Yeah. Like, say, uh, what is MTA? Marauding terrorist attack. So, we're supposed to have all these like, bulletproof vests and stuff, and we never got them because they changed the plans that you guys would carry all of this, all, all of that gear and then just be at all those jobs. Yeah. And uh, do you think that'll work? Because I, I had a friend who was a sort of paramedic and um, in fact I've got a few mates have done it and pretty much every job that I've heard about which is like stabbing or shooting they're on a they're like discharging something in the community yeah. and then <laughs> they, they so, can't go to the job I mean uh, so the system that I that, how it's going to work I think is so say um, supermarket blows up yeah you need heart will be deployed they'll be ready yeah and then but you'll have source on the road and we're obviously trained to deal with that as well yeah. But the idea, but we don't have our own equipment on us. The oh, idea right. is that a vehicle with lots of ballistic vests. Oh, uh, okay. Like major instance. Who drives that then? Exactly. <laughs> so it'll be sitting on a station nearby. 
supermarket blows up and then the, all the sort heart will go and all the sort guys and, and all that equipment will have to we'll have to we'll have 10 minutes to break away from whatever we're doing oh, so you can break which away is, would, would be very difficult if you're at an arrest or a birth or a conveying a patient to the hospital yeah, yeah. and then and then someone on that station where the support vehicle is would have to jump find the keys jump in take it to that place but there's quite a lot of moving parts for yeah a lot could go wrong quite a lot of moving parts in my opinion but it's not been tested yet, really, the new system. So, no. um, it's always a weird one as well, isn't it? Because it, I, mean, I, I don't know if you know about funding. Do you know about funding? Because yeah. like Nauru, I mean, I don't, I'm not suggesting I do, but my understanding is Nauru, like centrally funded, which is why Heart yeah. have always got like money to do specialist stuff because it's like centrally funded in case of terrorist type stuff. Yeah. And um, presumably, sort of, it's the same. But you kind of think financially, those cases are like so few and far between. Yeah. You can't theoretically, you can't justify spending no. too much money on it. So it's a bit of a weird balance, isn't it? But then, in my experience, those jobs always go wrong. Yeah. Normally, within about ten minutes. Yeah. So I mean, you can understand why they've moved to this system because these jobs are so too and far between. And if you've got a load of paramedics sitting on cars who can't convey patients to hospital, then yeah, you can understand why maybe operations would agree that yeah, let's yeah, put yeah. them on amb- let's put them on ambulances. Yeah. But then, if you have an incident like Manchester within the trust you just yeah gotta hope that everything goes well but you're right like you can't organize chaos like that normally. as i understand hope is not a good plan a or whatever the <laughs> quote is um nice so um aim for heart then and is that yeah. what is your long-term career plan you mentioned an interest in the community stuff but yeah I, I, do you do like specialist paramedic roles or in yeah. hospital staff or what i don't think i'd ever see myself as a ccp critical care I won't take it personally. No, I think seeing how good a job you guys do, oh, I know I'd be that's so bad. much worse. <laughs> um, no, I like the um, practitioner route, permanent practitioner. Yeah, fair. So like, pro- that, uh, urgent emergency care, primary care type stuff. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I do, quite, I do enjoy um, like geriatrics. Yeah, dealing with the elderly. Yeah, I think that's quite rewarding. And there's there's a few roles in there. I mean, there's increasingly a lot of roles for advanced clinical practitioners mm. and um, quite a few frailty teams now so would you be interested in doing something like that because I always think I don't know there's a, there's a lot of in fact I've I've looked at a few myself but like in hospital advanced paramedic routes and I always it's it's a big leap isn't it if you spent your entire career in the ambulance service yeah. would you see yourself working in a hospital or in a community team well I think it's how long uh, I do often ask myself how long can I do working in an ambulance or because it isn't it does have its. You do get worn down, don't you? But, but then you bounce back after a few days yeah. off. So, but um, yeah, I, I can't see myself working in the ambulance service for the rest of my life. But no, I do. I do enjoy working in healthcare. So yeah, um, I think it'd be quite interesting to do. I think yeah. it'd be good to do like a mixture of both. Yeah, um, like a bit of in and out. Yeah, it, to be fair, when I take time away from work with the army. Yeah, I've missed. I do miss wearing a different shade of green in the ambulance service. Yeah, that is weird, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know why. So what is? So what's the deal with the army then? So uh, army reservist, is it? Yeah, so I'm an army reservist. What are you doing that? Because do they, they have a thing about paramedics, don't they? About the military. Yeah, it like it's different for paramedics and nurses. You can't just join as a paramedic. Yeah. So, um, so nurses can either join as a soldier nurse 
Yeah. Or they can become a professionally qualified officer. Okay. So the army will employ them as an officer in a medical role. Right. Um, paramedics, the army's not really uh, got a need for them to be in an officer role. Right. Um, they've got like very competent combat medics. Yeah. Who are trained to level as paramedic or can train to level as a paramedic. Yeah. But have not yet, and they kind of fill that role, pre-officer role, really well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're but they're as trained as as well trained as paramedics are in trauma, in my experience. Yeah, which is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I don't yeah. think paramedics are very well trained in trauma at all. In fact, <laughs> like, and it, <laughs> I'll do it as a job, and I don't feel particularly confident with trauma. Yeah, because you just don't see it, do you? Like, I'm, no, I'm helping out with the training at work this year, and um, as part of it, I teach. Uh, go we go for like the critical hemorrhage bag, yeah. and half of it I've never used before. I've never put on a tourniquet. No. So I kind of, and then sometimes you get people like you say who are ex-military medics and I'm like you teach us <laughs> because yeah. I, you know what I mean yeah and I think um I mean it's like we're talking about with the NQP portfolio and shared decision making and stuff like they're I think the parents are competent or like very competent in like an area of um out of hospital kind of social medical yeah. care kind of stuff and like the complexities of those decisions but not in what people think of like I mean we go to cardiac arrest but that's about it in terms of critical care, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Unless you're like in that role. Yeah, it's very. Yeah, I think you tell it's like you tell people you're a paramedic, and they go, "Oh God, you must have seen some things." Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, I've seen some awful seen, poverty. Seen some great care homes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you can kind of see why it wouldn't fit with the military model, because and I, the other thing I think is um, all of that, like you don't need like a degree to be able to be taught to function well. Mm. In no, um, in terms of like managing trauma care and stuff, it's, it's much more practical teaching, isn't it? Yeah. Because I guess ultimately you're not making like complex decisions or like okay. patient-centered type decisions. I think the military is really algorithm-based and it's really like yeah. dumbed down, made people I mean, people follow the SAPs really well. Yeah. Like the same way we got our jail calc, but it's open to interpretation. Yeah. yeah. Is like set in their ways. Yeah. Like it's an algorithm. You follow it and it's done, yeah. and then. That, and then you know it's been done up the chain. You know it's going to be done down the chain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and it's it's been proven to work and yeah, and that's why it's used pretty effectively. Yeah, yeah. So and so, what is the like the nurse? If you're a nursing officer, presumably there's an op, op, there's a place for nurses because ultimately, like nurses work, they're much more managerial than paramedics, aren't they? In terms of you know, like if you're a sister in charge of A and E. Yeah. you're dealing with a lot of moving patients around and referring to different wards and stuff where we're literally like one person at a time. So yeah. Is that, what role, is that what their role is? Military. You know what? I can't really comment because I'm very <laughs> sure. <laughs> Obviously done your homework. Yeah. No, but... Um, so tell me about the paramedic role in the army reserves. Yeah, so um, the paramedic role is quite similar. As a paramedic soldier, it's quite similar to the one pre-hospital in the NHS. Okay. Yeah, they do quite a lot of similar things, but they are still quite algorithm based. Yeah. Um, they might do a bit of urgent care with under under a medical officer, which is a doctor. Right. So, um, but they are trained to level as a paramedic. They do have the registrations. And they can do all the kind of things that. And do they, do they do the combat medical stuff? They more yeah yeah they do their like battles course. Oh fair. So is that what you do? No, so I'm a medical support officer, so I've got. So I'm in a medical unit, but I don't yeah. do any patient-facing stuff. So. Okay. How come you went for that? Um, 
More salutes. More salutes, yeah. No. <laughs> I've got lot, lots of my family have been officers. Oh, is in it? The past. And, um, and I felt like I, it, was a, it was a nice change. I thought I'd enjoy the change in pace from being patient-facing to having a non-patient-facing role model. Yeah. Outside of, outside of, and making sure that they were two different jobs works quite well. Yeah. They yeah. do go hand in hand and like lessons I've learned in one uniform will transfer to the other. Yeah. So what do you do as a role? So if you're not seeing patients, what is the you know what are you expected to do? So um, as a MSO, um, you would your job is to make sure that anyone clinical is only doing clinical things, right? And they're not being like, and they can put the most of their effort into be, doing their jobs as clinical patient facing yeah. staff. So my job would be like logistics, planning, bit of HR, yeah, things like that. Um, or in army base, making making medical plans for other units, like making sure that um, they're covered and we're covered. Yeah, sure. yeah. It's quite a complex, as you can imagine. Like it's quite a complex system going from point of wounding on a battlefield all the way back to Birmingham Hospital. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and and we're um, so there's quite a lot to put in place, and and working within these algorithms we state before, mm-hmm. you just have to make sure everything's done properly and done effectively. Yeah, and yeah. Then, it sounds quite um, team leader It is, yeah, it is. It is, and to be fair, I'm hoping that one day might help me in the ambulance service. But I was going to say, yeah. I mean, I had eight weeks at the military academy, Sandhurst, and that was awesome. That was hard work, but it was awesome. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you can like military leadership and NHS leadership is on completely different planets. What do you reckon's better? Might be biased, really... but I think <laughs> <laughs> that's a difficult question in case either of your employees listen yeah. to this. I think mili- I'm I'm not ashamed to say I think military leadership. I think the NHS can learn yeah. a bit from the military. Yeah, I agree. Fair. And is that so? The team leader thing. Do you reckon will you apply for team leader? Yeah, I probably would one day. I think, I think that'd be a good shout. I, think I do like that kind of thing. And then it would it would it would mix my roles quite well. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. I think they have a good gig here, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's a good job. Um, have you ever deployed with no. the army? No, no, I'm still quite new. I'm only uh, what's called a one pip second lieutenant. Okay. So um, that still sounds quite advanced <laughs> compared to soldiers. It's not. I think it's very embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> very embarrassing rank slide to wear. Um, no, it's not. It's um, no, it's a good role. And Fair. Um, junior officers, like we're still the new guys. Yeah, yeah. And how does it work with um like if you have to deploy, how does that work? Obviously you're an NH you're full time NHS. Yeah. How does that work in terms of your employment um, or even in fact with training and stuff? Like do they allow yeah. for that or what? So work my trust are really good. I get two weeks off yeah. extra for army reserve stuff. Yeah. And then I can basically have whatever unpaid I want um okay. to do army stuff, which is pretty good. And then do the army pay the same amount? Like yeah. If you go and do army work, do they pay the same wage or is it? I think it's about the same, yeah, yeah. It's not too bad. Um, but like weekends away, you get like the unsocial pay and things like that. So okay, it does I'll add do up, some... yeah. And then every year, I'm going to do a bit of a sales pitch for the reserves. Every year, okay. if you can, if you turn up enough, twenty eight, twenty nine days bounty. Yeah, you get your bounty, and that's a big cash of a big cash pile of grand. Is it? Yeah, yeah no, every year. Touch. Yeah. And do you do like um? training abroad like do you get deployed to do training yeah they can do like they you can't really stay idle there's loads of opportunities in the yeah yeah like the one the course is aimed at me and my like 
my role are lots of ma- like medical management courses. Yeah. Um, but if you joined as a paramedic soldier, you could, mm. or any, any role, you could do like be a CBRN instructor and learn how to teach people to put on their gas masks. And, yeah, fair. And then you could be a like a battles, so pre hospital trauma life support courses. Yeah, yeah. Like you could get them, you could be an instructor on that. You, and then, so there's loads of qualifications. You can do your like, you can learn Arabic and French and all that, and you'll be paid to do that. So, yeah, fair. It does, it does. It is a good job. It is a good role, and opens a few doors. Up. It does, yeah, absolutely. Did you ever look at um, joining regulars? No, I never. <laughs> nah, doesn't um, interest you. No, it doesn't. It's never. Lots of my friends have joined the regulars. Yeah, um, but it never crossed my mind. Really, I've, I've always, I've always felt, I've always enjoyed the emergency services, and yeah. I didn't really know I wanted to join the army reserve until I was already in the emergency service. And oh, okay, so. And what um what made you go for army? Is it the family thing, or did you look at other armed forces? Uh, I think I gave a brief look at the RAF, Mert. Yeah, but the I have a medical unit near me. Yeah, and um so and they're an army one, so it made sense to go yeah. with them. So um for people who might be interested in that, because I think a few people are interested. Do you think it, so? You, you mentioned like it fits quite well with work because they let you do it. Yeah. And the fact, I mean, it's probably a um, bit of a clincher having the base near where you live. Yeah. But do you think it fits in with your like role life as a normal, normal operational or like NHS paramedic? Well, yeah. Would you recommend it? Yeah, I would. I would to anyone who wants to do it. Um, I think just the opportunities it opens up are amazing, and the people you meet as well. Yeah. Like, I've met people who are physios and ODPs that I would never have met otherwise and when you're wearing the same uniform as them and they're on the same team it works really well yeah yeah and the and you can speak to guys who um have been doing your job a lot longer than you have yeah and it works really well because again experience of learning um and it's a change in environment i think that works big part like when i'm feeling sick inside of ambulancing yeah i think Obviously, like a change is as good as a rest is yeah. the thing in there. And I always, I always think that because I do a couple of different, you know, like sometimes I work in the control room and it is um, it is nice balance to go and do yeah. something else. Yeah. And, um, you know, like if I do overtime on a DCA yeah. as like in operations, um, one day of that makes me <laughs> remember how enjoyable my job is because it's so stressful. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, it's a good balance, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd recommend it to anyone who wants to do it. Yeah, fair. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.